You're listening to a Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, March 28th, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week. We are going to discuss Stormy Daniels on 60 Minutes, the U.S. Census coming after your citizenship, the push to just flat out repeal the Second Amendment, and Facebook data. We downloaded our data. We also have a poem about someone's data. And then Wild Wild Country, the cult series on Netflix. We'll discuss that as well as the big premiere of the revival of Roseanne. Dan Savage is here. Chase Burns is back. Rich Smith is here. And Katie Herzog is here. First, we're diving into Stormy Daniels. Rich, hello. Eli, hello. Dan, hello. Hello. I am operating my mouth on this podcast in an impaired state. I just want to put that on the record at the top of the show. And that's different than usual? Yeah, it's a little different. I haven't slept for a couple of days and I had to take a muscle relaxant this morning for an injury. And so, woo, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. Usually, I don't know what's going to go into my mouth today. I don't know what's going to come out. <laughs> well, there is a lot <laughs> to process today. As I was always. talking about lunch. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking about there, Dirty Bird. I don't know either. Robert Mueller is making some new connections in a court filing. He's connected for the first time uh, Russian intelligence to Rick Gates and Paul Manafort. It's complicated. You'll have to read about it. There's no new indictments, but bottom line is Mueller is on the move, but not fast enough for my taste. Also on the move, Kim Jong-un in his very slow-moving bulletproof train, he went to China. It's so supervillain. It's so vintage. It's so great. He's a despicable madman tyrant and has blood on his hands. But cool train, dude. Like, if you're going to be a dictator of a hermit kingdom, like, travel by train. Yeah. A uh, very Bond villain. The headline in the New York Times was Bulletproof, Slow, and Full of Wine, Kim Jong-un's <laughs> Mystery Train. I'm looking at it now. It's a nice hunter green kind of, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, old throwback style, kind of a boxy front with a nice yellow racing stripe. I don't like him at all, but I approve of his train. Thomas the Crank Engine. <laughs> And then we have the Stormy Daniels continued fallout or really just the righteous battle that she's waging against the president. She had her big, huge ratings interview on 60 Minutes on Sunday. Did you all watch it? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, it was flabbergasting. What was, I think, equally flabbergasting was the reaction from so many pundits the next day on MSNBC, which I was condemned to watch in my hotel room for a couple of hours. And basically – Morning Joe and his whole crew were complaining endlessly that they didn't see the president's dick. They kept talking about the CD-ROM that uh, Stormy's lawyer had tweeted out a picture of, implying that they've got text messages, images, videos, which they've said that they've got. And those weren't shown on 60 Minutes. So they refused to listen to what you did talk about. They refused to really wrestle with the abuse of power, the intimidation, the goon sent to threaten her, which is apparently a pattern Mm -hmm. with this allegedly Trump lawyer. I mean, it's not allegedly Trump's lawyer. Allegedly, this is a pattern of them sending out goons to threaten people. Refused to talk about any of that and just faulted and faulted and faulted Stormy and her lawyer for giving Joe 
and Mika blue balls because they didn't get to see the president's <laughs> deck. It was really a fucking annoying. I thought Stormy Daniels was great. And I've been reading the uh, pieces that say, if you thought she was great and you were surprised, that's because of your own bias against porn stars. And maybe I have to like, maybe there is some unconscious something in me, but I was like very impressed about her performance and about how fucking direct she is. And I don't think it's because she's a porn star. I think it's because no one stands up to him like this. Like, porn star, politician, anyone. She is the only person out there who's fucking calling his bluff, willing to take some personal pain over it, and maybe personal financial hits and more, and not stopping. She is out-trumping Trump. Like, every fucking day, her lawyer does a new thing, sues Trump's lawyer for defamation, which happened the day after the 60 Minutes interview, and now is calling today to depose Trump in their other legal battle that they've got going. It's awesome. Maybe you were impressed because she had to talk about having sex with Trump for an hour. I assume that there would be some level of like, uh, like <laughs> a shame or like you know so something associated with that but no no shame she was doing it and talking what about she does it. for a living it's like yeah. being an acrobat yeah i was on the trapeze for an hour yeah wasn't a circus i particularly wanted to perform in but i had a job to do mm-hmm. so it seems like she may may <laughs> may i'm laughing at the circus metaphor <laughs> Cred- your drug addled mind you gotta credit to- that to the muscle relaxant <laughs> and the painkiller <laughs> Also, for what it's worth, there were no trapezes or harnesses or anything there involved was a spanking. There, there was were, a spanking. There were sharks. She rolled up a magazine and spanked him with it. <laughs> Whose idea of foreplay is four hours of a Shark Week documentary? Donald Trump. It has to be said that she seemed completely credible. She seemed like she was answering every question truthfully. Anderson Cooper confronted her about the statement she released denying an affair, which she said she released and signed under duress, understandable, with Cohen and Trump bearing down on her the way that they did. And you walked away from that interview thinking, all right, there's one person in this dispute who is telling us the truth, and it's the porn star, not the president. Right. And we, we, sh- we live in a time when a, porn, a randomly selected porn star is a more credible source and more credible answering direct questions than the president of the fucking United States. And the only person who can get him to shut up and not criticize her, as you pointed out last week, as Frank Bruni pointed out in a great column, and maybe not the only person. Who else might have information about a real affair that Donald Trump had? Putin. That's the only other person out there who uh, Trump will never fucking criticize. And it must be, and with Putin, it's the compromise. Putin's got some videotape of something going down or trickling down, trickle down, Donald Trumponomics happening in that <laughs> hotel room. And Stormy Daniels and her lawyer have that CD-ROM. Right. I think what Trump is afraid of is images, totally. is video getting out there that destroy his public image as the swaggering, dick-swinging billionaire and show him for what he actually is, allegedly a piss-guzzling sub. And she's proving the plausibility of the idea that you can blackmail Trump with an image of him uh, having sex with someone who he doesn't want to admit he had sex with or just an image of his junk. Asterix really quickly, the religious right, the religious right still lined up behind Donald Trump. CNN did an interview with six or seven women who support Donald Trump who said that they just refused to believe her. Donald Trump was chosen by God. He is the chosen one. It is beyond tribal. People talk about tribalism in American politics. This is beyond tribal. This is cult shit this is 
Bashwan Rashnish is president and these zombie-eyed followers of his, except there's millions and millions and millions of them. And all of us who were attacked for moral impropriety and for being morally shocking, sex-having hedonistic perverts for 30 or 40 fucking years of our adult lives by the religious right, just constantly jaw in my lap watching the mulligans, the the passes that Donald Trump gets from the Tony Perkinses of the world. Speaking of cult shit, cults are really hot right now. We're going to talk about that later in the show with Katie Herzog. She's been watching Wild Wild Country. But flipping from our cult-infested present to another problem of our present, the war on immigrants in this country. So Jeff Sessions announced that the U.S. Census is going to require in 2020 everyone who responds to it to say whether they are a citizen or not. And people are rightly freaking out. Uh, several states are announcing that they are going to sue the Trump administration over this, saying it's unconstitutional. Jeff Sessions is saying, hey, I just need this so that I can better enforce the Voting Rights Act, which, uh, Rich, you're an expert on Jeff Sessions. He's a big, longtime fan of the Voting Rights Act, well, right? I talked about him a time or two. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your best impression of Kate McKinnon's impression of Jeff yes, Sessions? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they uh, haven't, uh, the Trump administration hasn't, sued ever to enforce the Voting Rights Act, so this would be the first time that they ever <laughs> did anything on behalf of the Voting Rights Act, and of course, they just had to cancel their, or the, what was that, that, that voting commission? That oh, yeah, was, that's in court. Yeah. They, <laughs> right. Yeah, so there, it, it's ironic that he would invoke any kind of Voting Rights More Act. More than ironic, it's bullshit. It's, right. Well, it's voter Sanders, suppression. Right. It's uh, gerrymandering in a new guise, in a new form, because our districts are divided up for Congress, not based on the number of citizens in a district, but the total number of people in that district, citizens or not, documented, undocumented immigrants or not. And this is going to result in undercounting communities with, you know, communities with many, many immigrants being undercounted, being underrepresented in the House of Representatives. And that is the goal. And the states will, like California uh, and New York and uh, Minnesota, places with a lot of immigrants, are going to stand, lose states. billions in, right. in funding. And going to lose representation in Congress. Not just blue states, though. Some people took to Twitter to point out this is going to impact Texas. Texas could lose a mm -hmm. uh, House member or two because Texas has lots and lots and lots of documented and undocumented immigrants. And so Texas should be suing. And but Sarah of course, Sanders. Isn't. Sarah Sanders. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was up telling lied. <laughs> See, yeah, just just telling bald faced lies about how the question has been asked on the census since 1965. It hasn't been asked since 1950 when we were in a Jim Crow state. So, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. What to, I hate. I particularly hate stuff like this from the Trump administration because it's stuff that's going to last like a very long time, a decade. Like, yeah, and so I just don't want to be explaining to my like like water baby in twenty years. Like, well, the reason why you're a water baby is because Trump <laughs> made us all ask this question on the census, and nobody got federal funding, and it was terrible. It's meta gerrymandering. Yeah. is what it is. It's For any of you who don't know what Rich means by his water baby, that's the post-apocalyptic <laughs> when we all live in water world baby that rich plans to have in kevin our costner brings the future. mail isn't that the one no that's a postman <laughs> thank you for being my apocalypse translator you sure are. uh so also this week former u.s supreme court justice john paul stevens appointed by gerald ford of all people republican president came out and said we should just go on and repeal the second amendment 
and made a very logical argument. It was one of the shortest op-eds I've seen in a while in the New York Times because the argument is really simple. You've heard it before, but not from a Republican-appointed Supreme Court justice. It goes like this. In the 18th century, when the Second Amendment came into being, all we were talking about were muskets and, you know, a kind of conception then of states' rights. Both of those notions are pretty antiquated now in the 21st century when we have AK-47s and more. And so we should just repeal it. Well, it he doesn't also, make sense anymore. He also mentioned, which I think is a sort of, uh, it's an old argument, but kind of refreshing to see that the no other amendment protects an industry. But right. the Second Amendment protects huh. the gun industry. Now and it so does. you can make, yeah, yeah. Now it does. Once the in twenty because of uh, two thousand eight, the Heller decision, um, and and so now, like, you can make a, a pretty strong Republican argument. Well, you can make an it, argument that the First Amendment protects our industry, the press. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also made an argument that I haven't heard as forcefully and concisely done from people on high in at least a while, and. He quoted former Chief Justice Berger as saying in public years ago that the NRA, this is literally decades ago, 1980s, I believe, was perpetrating, quote, one of the greatest pieces of fraud, and I repeat the word fraud, on the American public by special interest groups that I have ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah. Did you guys listen to that Radio Lab more perfect version called The Gun Show about the whole history of the Second Amendment and the NRA? I did not, but my husband did, and he said it was amazing. I recommend. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the show. Always got to work in the mention of your husband. Always got to shove your sexual orientation <laughs> on everyone's throats. I welcome Eli talking about his personal relationship with his husband. I don't think we get enough of these voices on this podcast, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, the the short version is that nobody gave a shit about the Second Amendment until uh, the Black Panthers uh, st- uh, walked uh, into the California state legislature with guns slung around their arm. And then all of a sudden, Reagan, who was governor of California at the time, started giving a shit about the Second Amendment. Then they started passing all kinds of um, gun control laws, Republicans did, in an effort to suppress black power movements. And then that uh, led to an unlikely coalition between black power movements and uh, uh, Hicks in the country who wanted to keep their guns Thank you. Meanwhile, in 1970, Jesus. the NRA has this revolution internally. It, the organization was going to relegate themselves to an Olympic gun magazine. Yeah. And now, and, but then a small coalition of maybe like 15 or 16, like Hicks who wanted to keep their guns, took over um, the, their parliamentary process and took over the organization and essentially ensured that it was going to become a political uh, arm of the gun movement. And a white supremacist, white power arm of... The Republican yeah. movement, which is, of course, about white supremacism, as demonstrated by the census question, which is about white supremacism. Uh, Philando Castile, legally armed, tells a cop, shot, NRA says nothing. The guy in Sterling. the Walmart carrying the gun that was for sale in the Walmart, the air pistol who was shot by a cop, open carry state, NRA says nothing. The 12-year-old kid in a park with a toy gun, yes. shot by a cop, open carry state, NRA says nothing. If you're black and you're armed legally and gunned down, the NRA will say nothing because the NRA wants guns in the hands of white fucking cracker shitheads and not all of the American people because I think ultimately in the end they are playing with themselves and fantasizing about race war over at the NRA. The podcast that you're talking about, the Radio Lab's More Perfect, which I've now heard about twice but haven't listened to, (laughs) but you should listen to, it does raise an interesting question that I don't think we can resolve here, but like what what happens when 
more people and particularly the left uh, hear this history that says, well, actually, it was the Black Panthers who really promoted and brought back into the consciousness or maybe really first brought into broad consciousness the importance of the right to bear arms in a different light. Mm -hmm. I don't want to answer that one today. I want to skip over it to another question that came up in light of the John Paul Stevens op-ed, which was, uh, is this helpful? Because literally the next day, which is today, <laughs> or what maybe yesterday, who can keep track anymore? Donald Trump tweeted out, the Second Amendment will never be repealed. There's a justice, you know, saying that it should be repealed. I guarantee you it will never be repealed. And this is why we've got to keep the right people on the Supreme Court. I'm here to shove the Neil Gorsuches of the world and other people onto the court. Elect me again in 2020 is the implied argument, and you'll never have to worry about the Second Amendment being repealed. Thanks, John Paul Of course, Stevens. the Second Amendment is not going to be repealed. You're not going to get a majority vote in two-thirds of the states to repeal the Second Amendment ever. So it was a nice piece to read, and I read it, and I was, loved Stevens when he was on the court. Love him now. Um, but that ain't going to happen. But I think it is something that we should talk about on the left. Like we can move the needle. Eventually, if there's no sane gun laws, no gun safety regulations, and we're left with no other option than repealing the Second Amendment, eventually that will come to pass if that is the only course correction available to us. If the NRA and gun owners don't get behind gun safety laws – then we're going to have to grab all their guns at some point because there's no way to keep the guns out of the hands of the crazy people and the murderous shitbags who shouldn't have them short of repealing the Second Amendment. Repeal. Trump tweet coming. I will never let Dan Savage <laughs> grab all your guns. Don't worry. Vote for me. <laughs> repealing the Second Amendment doesn't have as broad a support as um, uh, promoting and passing gun safety measures. But if we can't have background checks and we can't have age restrictions and we can't have gun registration and we can't have safety locks and yeah. safe storage laws, we can't have all of the things that might make guns less damaging in this country because of the second amendment yeah. eventually we're gonna have to do something about the second amendment that's like 30 40 years and hundreds of additional mass shootings and school massacres. yes when the water baby becomes a blood baby <laughs> that's right <laughs> and starts marching down the streets a little point of data from the washington post only one in five americans currently support repealing the second amendment so it's a high hill to climb I was at the March for Our Lives this past Saturday, which is, I think, one of the bigger forces moving the needle right now, maybe toward raising the age on buying a guns and other common sense gun laws. Um, but it was great. It was a huge march in Seattle, huge marches all around the country. It now feels in the like forever cascade of news like a long time ago. But let, don't, I don't know. Don't forget and what the NRA proves all the time is that a minority of Americans, if they're organized and well-financed and vicious and vociferous enough, can get everything that they want and impose their will on the majority of Americans because majorities of Americans support gun safety regulations that the NRA and the minority of Americans that it represents oppose and the NRA constantly wins because of money and votes. And, and lining up their people to vote the way that they tell them to. So I mean, it's just, it's that just, only one in five support repealing the Second Amendment doesn't mean that we can't repeal the Second Amendment. Okay, next we're going to talk again about Facebook and your data. Would it kill you to read a magazine, Rich? I'm, I'm not going to dignify that question with a response. <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> 
because I actually know the response is you do read magazines when you can scrape them out of a dumpster for free or steal them from a doctor's office. That's right. Um, I'm still thumbing through the latest edition of Pioneer Woman right now and loving everything I see. I have been trying to tell you that you can have all the magazines and more with texture. Whether you're looking for dependable political reporting, high-quality storytelling, or the latest on culture and entertainment, magazines deliver it all with high-quality writing and beautiful photography. And now you can get all your magazines in one place with Texture. Texture and its app give you unlimited access to over 200 premium magazines. Texture has leading titles like Time, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, and Wired. And right now, you can try Texture for free. Just imagine having your favorite magazines and their back issues anytime, anywhere. To start your Texture free trial, go to texture.com slash blabbermouth. If you choose to continue, podcast listeners will get Texture for just $9.99 a month. Go to texture.com slash blabbermouth to start your free trial today. That's texture.com slash blabbermouth. Texture.com slash blabbermouth. Chase Burns, you're back. Hello. It's because we are talking still and again about Facebook. Yeah, we are. You are our Facebook expert. I am. The stranger's social media manager. Uh, first, let's begin, as we always should when we can, with a poem from Rich Smith. It's called My Data Myself. You want my data, but you can't have my data. Marcus Zuckerberg toddler-faced tyrant of the digital wastes, chief warden of the face place. My data belongs to no man, no advertiser, no sham Latin digital operations company with an evil Eat Night and Steve Bannon for a manager. No staffer can steal my data and use it to win the presidency. My data hates presidents. It hates theft. And it has taken a vow of celibacy. My data is bold. My data is beautiful. I rub my data with ointments and oils, lotions and lards. My data rises up with great skin and a clenched fist, saying, I belong to the poet Rich Smith. I am his relationship status. I am his Spotify playlists. I am his likes, his sexts, and the result of his personality tests. My data won't be harvested or marketed, targeted or retargeted. My data is unbreachable, unteachable, undeletable. But most of all, my data is free. Mm. Oh, thanks. Snaps. Snaps. It came from the depths of my feelings when all this data stuff started hitting the news. I was just waking up, cup of coffee, 11.30 in the morning, just re- just getting to the news and I felt a little ball of light start forming in my belly, and that's when I knew I had to put it on the page. A million blabbermouth listeners with Rich Smith voice crushes just swooned onto their fainting <laughs> Whatever couches. the opposite we, of that is. <laughs> we have a live stream of this video on our Facebook, which you can go watch. Ironically. Well, so also this week, even though, Rich, you were saying uh, your data is free, it is also in the clutches of Mr. Zuckerberg. Right. The point is my data is not free at all. <laughs> I'm a, I, am a, I am a product and some <laughs> toddler-faced asshole who lives in a, a, a nice house in California sells, it, uh, sells me to other uh, uh, companies. 
But we all, as I learned recently this week, have the ability to go onto Facebook and download an archive of the data it has on us. And so Rich and I did this. Chase has a longer story about why he wasn't <laughs> able to do this, and we're going to get to it in one moment. Uh, but Rich, what did you find in your Facebook data? I found out that one of the ads I clicked on was called How to Talk to Your Dog About Debt. <laughs> And I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, I haven't clicked on a lot of ads, but I clicked on that one because it seemed fair. I found I was interested, out, you know. It's mm-hmm. a good ad. Yeah. I found out, this is really sad, the last time I was poked was January 17th, 2004 at 10.34 p.m. 2004. Oh. Working on it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of depressing. Uh, also, also, I found out that uh, Facebook has me targeted. Well, first of all, it says my top ad topic is Pony, which is a gay bar in Seattle. That's funny. That's all right. And that it has me, uh, it has shared my contact information with Pediasure US. <laughs> uh, and the New York Times, I guess that makes sense, and AT&T, and something called Mile IQ, which I looked it up. It's like uh, something to do with charging you car insurance based on the miles you drive. Interesting. I don't drive I think I've much. clicked on the ad, actually. I don't even have a car. Um, the other thing that it told us about is our friends, yeah. Well, before uh, the advertisers with my contact info, it like breaks down like what ads you clicked on, who, which companies have your ads, and I have Airbnb. Airbnb has my uh, contact info, and so does Japanese Airbnb, and a couple mm-hmm. of my other colleagues who did this had Japanese Airbnb too. So, blabbermouth listeners, if you download your Facebook data and Japanese Airbnb has your stuff, call in, let us know. Let's do a little tally. But what were you gonna say about your contacts? Well, first, since you said that, to download your Facebook data, you just go to Facebook and or really just go to Google and uh, put in Facebook and downloading your info. You'll get the page that takes you there. Um, But what I was saying about friends in the return to uh, sobering things was, uh, you know, it gives me my big old list of friends, which is good heartening um and then you keep scrolling down keep scrolling down past all your friends i've got a lot of friends declined friend requests (laughs) facebook knows everyone who i tried to be friends with and they declined it's harsh rich Rich, i'm sure you have zero declined friend requests i thought declined friend requests were the people who you declined Oh, oh yeah. my god! I feel so much better. Yeah, yeah I thought yeah. this was people who declined me. These are people. These are just like your. Uh, this is your bot. Uh, bot graveyard. Oh, this basically. is this is the people who I uh, I said no to. Yeah, you All said right. no. Yeah. Well, no. scrolling even further down uh, is what Facebook describes as my friend peer group, and this is, I guess, is a good thing. They say I have an established adult life. I've got one of on those. Friends. I've got one of those too. Also established. Yeah, established adult life. Uh, EAL. We're both EAL, according <laughs> to Facebook. I want one. <laughs> well, Chase, you don't even know if you have one, no. if you have an established adult life, because you can't get into your data. Yeah, so actually right when right when we were done recording last week, I opened up my phone, and I had like 120 friend requests, which was a, a lot. And they all had the same like filter, and it, they were obviously bots. It was all like... 
seemingly female identified people that had male names like like Josh Smith and didn't make any sense. But I did accidentally accept a lot of them. <laughs> and then on Sunday, I went online and it said that someone had tried in Arizona to break into my account at like six in the morning and they were unsuccessful. So then I changed my password, but I changed my password through my email and it seemed that they had hacked into my email too because then they automatically went in and then they changed my password again um and then i've been completely frozen out of that account for now three days and uh facebook as most people uh, if you've ever had a problem know has like no customer service aspect so you can't call anyone um there's just too many inquiries sometimes they have a support text box but it usually disappears so i i when i go to log in i just get a message that says like please try again later and it's been saying that for three days so here's what i want to ask you because the big issue right now is how we feel about facebook and how we feel about it having all of our information and a lot of the trouble that Facebook is in right now is people feeling horrified by all the information it has. And, you know, looking through the data that I downloaded, I do see that I've installed applications supposedly that I didn't know I'd installed. And maybe these applications were, you know, sharing my data with who knows, Cambridge Analytica or whatever. Yeah, this is a problem. And it's got them in a lot of trouble. They're going to be called to testify in front of parliament. Mark Zuckerberg is going to testify in front of Congress, it sounds like. So, are you mad that you can't get back into your Facebook? I mean, that's what's kind of interesting. Is initially I was very upset, but it was mostly because I like the, I run two pages for my job that have almost half a million followers, and that is a very large amount of people. That suddenly this whoever I I, I don't think it was intentionally after me, but whoever got into my account now has access to, and that was the thing that I was panicked about personally. I didn't really care. It was almost uh, a relief. I created a new uh, Facebook just for work and um, added like 20 people who I only talk to on Facebook because there are those people that you like are like, oh, fuck, I need it for that. But I do want to remind you, we were talking about this earlier, of one thing you said, which was that you felt a little sad that you wouldn't be able to get back all your photos. Like Facebook has become... The scrapbook for everyone, right? It's, a, it's it has weird. your history. It has your life. I signed up for it. I'm just seeing in, in the day after my birthday, 2004. Wow. Wow. That's horrible, though. I mean, yeah, it has my scrapbook, but I mean, I also don't. I'm fine if it dissolves. I, <laughs> I really don't need those memories. I mean, it has my room. Like for me, I got it right when I was a teenager and it has like probably the room, like all, my entire romantic history is in that profile. Like all those DMs, there's probably some like weird nudes in there. There's just like a lot of stuff in there yeah. that I almost wish I could just remove. Well, you can. Yeah. So well, I, I, I actually really recommend, if you, unless you're locked <laughs> out of your account, doing this download of your Facebook data because it will give you all of your photos and then you can grab them that way and then you can delete them from your uh, public Facebook or public facing Facebook uh, profile. There was a expert on data stuff that I was listening to on NPR who was saying that if you scrape all of your stuff off of Facebook except for like the last two weeks and you can install an app that'll do this for you automatically, then your data is useless to anyone because what they're trying to do is get a picture of you over time and something that I've done over time makes them think that I want PD-isher, you know, or whatever. And uh, Mm -hmm. so if you get your data back from Facebook 
and disappear everything but the last two weeks, then yeah, they're not really getting much like data harvesting benefit from you, but you can still be on there if you want to be on there, which you're saying yeah. again, you don't even really want to be except it's your job. Well, it's just the system's so broken. Like I'm locked on my account for my own security and yet it's only giving the the hacker more time. And also while Facebook is kind of creating these new security measures they're also they just put down two hundred thousand dollars to fight this this data initiative in california that would allow uh that would allow californians to stop companies from selling their data you could elect not to and they're throwing a bunch of money along with google to stop that so it's like i don't know facebook's sharky yeah well another sharky facebook news this week just to run through it it also came out uh through ars technica this really interesting uh news website and arts news website and data news website, computer news website. Sorry for all the descriptions. Mm. Uh, it came out from them that uh, Facebook for Android users had been collecting information on all of their uh, calls and contacts. And this was through their installation of Facebook Messenger. But basically, Facebook could theoretically uh, see all your phone calls and it could trace who you're friends with or who you're talking to. And people didn't know that. They were downloading their Facebook data and seeing like, oh shit, why does Facebook know every time I called my mom? And this was just one of these things that you had agreed to without knowing you agreed to when you installed the thing. Rich, yeah. when you looked at your download, it had called that in there. Yeah, it has called it because I signed up for Messenger. And so it, um, because Messenger has people's phone numbers, it just then, I guess, uh, Japanese Airbnb knows all of my friends' uh, <laughs> phone numbers and can use um, that information to get me or something. But yeah, I mean, what has come out in the last few months about Facebook, what I like about this is that you know, Facebook is a soft core CIA or some kind of massive digital surveillance state. Everybody knows that now. And also, uh, what's something that's happened in the last year is that p people are treating tech companies like oil companies or other, uh, recognizing that, you know, this kind of glossy, like, there for you, connect the world facade is totally bullshit and they're just as evil and um, sharky and um, monopolistic as any fucking train baron or, or oil baron or people yeah. now say Facebook with the same tone they might say Exxon Exxon Mobil right yeah they're realizing that Mark Zuckerberg is just like a he's gonna be Rex Tillerson in in, in, tw <laughs> in twenty years and, th and that's all that's that's better in uh, Chase and I uh, in preparation for this segment watched uh, the Social Network and if you need uh, last night and it ages well if you need any more like emotional like fire to delete Facebook if you're kind of on the edge just watch the social network and realize that we should all be deleting Facebook not for any kind of like because Coca-Cola will be able to sell you a can of Coke better but because Mark Zuckerberg was an asshole and he was mean to his friends yeah <laughs> Andrew Garfield who is the actor in social network who also was Twink Spider-Man he told Vanity Fair yesterday that he's been saying hashtag delete Facebook since the social network came out in 2010 the movie is very vindicating Justin Timberlake's acting does not hold up but it is Good. Yeah, he stole. I mean, he stole all that money from the Bitcoin twins, who <laughs> the Winklevoss twins, who are played. No heroes. Do you know who they're played by? Army, Army Hammer. Hammer. There's two of them. It's <laughs> it's it's like Army Hammer. Hammer was so good at math, he doubled, and then he made bit Bitcoin. There's a lot in that movie. Wow, that is a lot to think about. It's Army Hammer rowing is like a third of the movie. Two Army Hammers rowing. Okay, well. Uh, we an orgasmic sort of like glee. Mm, all right. We'll end on that image. <laughs> However, if you just can't quit Facebook yet and you want to know a little bit more about what it's got on you, again, really recommend 
Download your fucking data. It's fascinating. Thank you, Chase. Thank you. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Eli. Rich, you have such a sweet little mouth. Gross. God. It needs... Are we doing the toothbrush ad? We are. (laughs) That's the only time I ever compliment your mouth. I mean, it is for a a pretty erotic brush. It is. Tell me about Quip. So Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibration into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. Easy to slip it right in. And guiding pulses alert you when to switch sides, making brushing the right amount of effortless. Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere, whether it's going in your gym bag or carry-on. And because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean. Your mouth. No, it should also be clean, Rich. I'm looking at you as I say this. Okay. Keep your Quip clean. Quip subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Don't forget the students. Most toothbrushes don't get named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year, but Quip did find out why for yourself. Quip starts at $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash blabbermouth, right now you'll get your first free refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first free refill pack free at getquip.com slash blabbermouth, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash blabbermouth. Katie Herzog, hello. Hi. Dan's back. We're going to talk about Roseanne. The revival premiered last night, and according to Entertainment Weekly, it delivered an incredible 18.2 million viewers, along with an equally impressive 5.1 rating among adults 18 to 49. That's a big deal for people who track how successful TV shows are. Katie, you watched it? I did watch it, and... The fact that Roseanne is a Trump supporter, um, sort of that sets the bar, I think, pretty low. But I was really impressed with this show. I didn't have I didn't uh, I didn't watch the show the first time it was on. It was on from 1988 to 1997. And I was really impressed with it. It's sort of so it's it's set in this alternate world where apparently in the last show, in the in the last season, Dan the husband died, and in this one, yeah, there was a whole year, a whole season where they just went off the rails, where they had this plot uh, of. They won the lottery and they became crazy rich. And then there was a final episode where that was just a fantasy and Dan had died of a heart attack. And they basically like wrote off that whole season as the ridiculous wormhole it was. And now they brought Dan back from the dead. Yeah, they brought Dan back and Roseanne, true to life, is a Trump supporter in the show. And her sister, Jackie, Jackie's played by Laurie Metcalf, who's been getting a lot of attention this year for her role in Lady Bird. Um, and so in the show, in the the revival of the show now, Roseanne is a Trump supporter. Jackie is, she. they haven't talked to each other since the election because obviously why would you talk to a trump supporter is she the person who i've seen in the stills from the show wearing a pussy hat yes, yelling yes. And a nasty woman a nasty t-shirt, woman shirt, oh, okay. yeah All and right. there's and i i i am going to spoil this really quickly there's this great moment in the show so turn it off really briefly if you don't want to hear this for the next 30 seconds but so there's this great moment in the show where you think that jackie's a, a hillary supporter because she's wearing a nasty woman shirt and she's got a pussy hat on and she's having this fight with roseanne and it seems like, so during the campaign, they were, like everyone else in America, constantly fighting about who's worse, Hillary or Trump. And Jackie says that she got in the booth 
And she panicked because she had Roseanne's voice in her voice in her head, and she voted for Jill Stein. Oh my oh god! Wow. Yeah, Dan, I thought of you immediately. I was hoping that Dan might watch the show, but now I ha- I wasn't able to watch the show because I was so fucking sick last night. I couldn't even sit in front of the TV. Well, it's worth watching. It's really it's just. Like- I was a fan of the show when it was on TV. You know, its era was the Cosby era, mm-hmm. and the, you know, most family sitcoms on television portray a kind of upper middle class existence without any class consciousness about the upper middle class existence and upper middle class existences are the default setting. It's why I stopped watching Glee after the first episode because I looked at the apartment they put the poor as a church mouse music teacher in an Ohio high school in and it was like a fucking palace and that shit drives me crazy about Hollywood, about sitcoms, about family shows and what Roseanne did was it kind of put in the 80s my family on television. That's what our house looked like. That's the way we lived hand to mouth uh, and it was... The, the the class stuff was really interesting. And of course, if you're going to bring it back now, one or the other of them had to be Trump supporters because those are the those are the voters who probably voted for Obama in 08 and 12 who then went to Trump and lost their minds uh, in 16. And I'm anxious to see the show. I'm just sorry yeah. I couldn't watch it last night. Yeah, there are all these great sort of other issues that they bring in. Like they talk about gender. There's a a, a mixed race girl on the show, which I I I don't know, but I'm sort of doubting it was, you know, super progressive on race on the first go round. But so there's all these other things that it brings. It just feels very contemporary, very now. I think it's totally worth watching. The show on its first go round was super progressive on a lot of things, including LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. But Roseanne also, at least in my reading of it and reading of an interesting interview she did with The New York Times, um, is doing for television what Trump successfully did in the election. Sorry, but he did do some successful things. And one of them was, you know, put a lasso around uh, a certain group of Americans and call them the forgotten, right? That's Mm -hmm. what Trump did. That's what Roseanne is saying. And she's right in terms of what Dan is expressing. Sitcom TV, television in general, gives you aspirational upper middle class people all the time and never shows you yourself. And And creates a kind of class unconsciousness. Right. And is never okay. It's actually more often sneering at people who are you know, not super educated. They're not the elite. They are working class and they don't say the right shit all the time. Right. And they have really messy, complicated lives, but mostly they're trying to do the right thing. At least Roseanne captures that quality and they don't want to be fucking scolded by elites. They in, in reading about the show, what I think might be most interesting is nobody has managed to escape the economic sort of class or desperation that was portrayed in the first show. Their kids didn't get up and out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very realistic. We have less class mobility now in this country than at any point in our history. You basically aren't going to climb above and you may actually sink below your your parents uh, on income uh, levels. And so that all of the kids, uh, Dan and Roseanne, Connor's kids, are struggling or falling behind in the same way Dan and Roseanne were struggling when they were little. It's a very realistic portrayal of class dynamics in this country. And for that to get on television, for that to get on ABC, which is kind of the worst offender when it comes to class unconsciousness when they put family sitcoms on television, I think as much as I hate putting money in the pocket of Roseanne, the Trump supporter, I think I'm going to be watching. And I haven't been watching uh, – Will and Grace's reboot. I haven't been watching Full House's reboot. I don't think I'm even going to watch the Murphy Brown reboot, but this reboot I'm going to watch. Will you keep watching after watching episode one? Yeah, I will. I'm going to suspend my rule about only watching shows with murder and detectives in it for, for this every Tuesday. <laughs> well, you don't know what's going to happen next week. There could That's be a true. murder and a detective. 
Kitty, Dan and I were sort of pontificating based on not having seen the show but read a lot about it that part of what's magnetic is the um, unabashed display of lower class forgotten Americans. Is that what felt magnetic about it for you when you were watching or what, it, what is it that's hitting? For yeah, I think that is certainly part of it. Um, but there's also they managed to touch on things in a way like they're funny about like there's this character in the show, um, Darlene's son who is gender nonconforming he dresses in a, in a femme way um and they handle that not with kid gloves they handle it in sort of a funny way that i think a lot of like in a lot of liberal circles progressive circles you can't even make fun of and they do in a way that's sort of that's funny but not cruel and so i really appreciate that um so yeah they, they talk about all of these things that are like opioids work you know um certainly financial stuff that's just like that feels very 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 now and very real and that feels very true to my white working class experience coming out to my large extended working class family where they processed me being a homo by making a lot of jokes about it. right i mean my family did that too my parents are super liberal they're just assholes as you're saying if you did that well certainly if you did that on twitter that would be the end right or slog so uh would violate the protocols of the elders of tumblr they will come for you (laughs) katie you are also watching wild wild country yeah i might watch too much tv and that's what i'm that's what i'm taking from this conversation i'm grateful (laughs) for it uh we were talking earlier in the show about how cults are very hot right now um do you have a sense of why and after Trumpism watching? is a cult? Yeah, I mean, I, I think cults are always fascinating, and these things are kind of tend to be cyclical. But right now, like I just made a, a, a brief list of, of of cults in the news right now. There's some great podcasts. Um, there's one, uh, Heaven's Gate, that's hosted by Glenn Washington, um, who's a who has a, a public radio show. Um, there's another podcast called Cults that's great. There's this show Waco. There's one called The Path. There's just all of these things in pop culture about cults right now. And I think that, well, first of all, culture is just sort of fascinating at, at any time. Um, but also, I think there is something about, you know, people seem very disaffected right now. Lots of paths you can go on, like lots of different sort of extremist paths you can take. Culture is certainly one of them. You know, opioids, I think, is another is another effect of this or another symptom of this um, sort of dissatisfaction with this ennui with life right now. Um, And I think cults, you know, people need meaning in life and and cults provide that. Can I toss out a theory like the total fracturing of master narratives in our society, the assault on truth and reason and the feeling like we, you know, we operate in this world where we're very focused on truth. We journalists and still we come on here every week and feel like nothing makes sense. Like the pervasiveness of that feeling. I could get why the world of the cult where everything has an answer join me eli (laughs) join me so the show the show though wild wild country you watched it it's on netflix yeah it's on netflix this is a six-part documentary series and i watched it although i will have to say i have to admit that the reason that i watched all six parts is because i don't actually control the remote in my family (laughs) Um, and i fell asleep during every episode that said it's still pretty good. So the story is about um, this. As a this, narcotic? As a, yeah. a sleep aid? I mean, I like that I can fall asleep and not feel like I've really missed anything. <laughs> this is just, an, you, but you're endorsing the show? I am endorsing it. I'm endorsing, watch it, watch the first two episodes and then, okay, so let me back up here and, and give a little background on what this is, what this is about. So in the 1980s, this, com- I don't think that, you know, the, the sannyasins, which are the names, of the, the, the names of the people who were in this group would call themselves cult members. They would have c- called it a commune. But this, this commune originated in India. The leader of it was named um, Bhagwan Rajneesh. 
And he attracted he's so these he's this Indian guru and he attracted all these wealthy Westerners who uh, you know traveled to India and learned meditation. He was rarely into into um, free love, so he was called the sex guru. And then in the early eighties, they moved from India to rural Oregon. This this then bought this massive ranch outside of this tiny town. And began collecting Rolls Royces, right. and then some shit went down. Some cra- in that yeah, town. so crazy shit went down, and it's and so it's the story itself is really fascinating. I don't know that you need to watch a six part series about it. However, yesterday I watched an hour long uh, documentary from 2012 um, made by Oregon Public Broadcasting that has a lot of the same archival footage that's in that's in Wild Wild Country. It's an hour. It's narrated by Scott Simon. So you can get all the good information without wasting six hours of your life. It's really it's really beautifully shot. Like the show is some people be it's six hours, man. Six all right, hours. All right. So this is a quasi endorsement yeah. at best of Wild Wild Lukewarm. Country and the one hour escape hatch that you can jump into. On. At least right, read the Wikipedia page. You know, <laughs> it's really interesting history. Katie, thank you. Thank you. Dan, thank you. Thank you for putting up with me in this state. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Dan, Rich, Katie, Chase, or me, call the Blabberphone two zero six. 302-2063 or dive into our Facebook group it's the Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group. Thanks to Ahamefile J. Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears.